following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw or our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Okay, well, as we start out looking at this passage in 1 Peter 2 this morning, I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you to yell out the word that comes to your mind when you think of the word church. So what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of church? If you're watching this with other people, just yell it out. What words come to your mind? What images come to your mind? Kids, you can do this as well. Uh, What do you think of when you hear the word church? What's in your mind? Just yell it out. Uh, Some of you might think of the setup team, and you're very pleased that you're not having to get down there at 7am this morning to set up, aren't you? One of the small little blessings of lockdown. Some of you might think about friends, that uh, about now you'd be just about having a nice coffee or a a bad coffee in the foyer of church uh, with your friends catching up, and that's one of the things you can't do at the moment in lockdown. Uh, You might think of singing worship songs, taking communion together, uh, or you might think of something like a church building that that you drive past on your way to work, Uh, or you think of a dedication that's happened in the church, or a christening or a confirmation, or a baptism or something like that, a significant moment maybe that's connected you to to a church. Uh, Or maybe what you think of when you think of church is not that positive. Uh, Maybe you've really struggled in church. Maybe you've experienced real heartache in the church. And so your connotations of church are not all that great. The images that come to your mind are not all that positive. But we've all got these things that come to our heads when we think about what the church is. And the question I want to lead us into this morning based on this passage is, how does God see the church? Like when God thinks about the church... What, what does he think about? What, what images come to his mind? It's, it's one thing to think about church from our human perspective, but how does God see the church? Because this passage in 1 Peter 2, it's really all about the church. Uh, Peter is describing the nature of the church, the purpose of the church, uh, the identity of the church. Admittedly, he doesn't use the word church at all in this passage. If you look down there, you don't, you don't see the word church at all. But he is describing the church with all of this figurative language. He's using word pictures. He's using metaphors to describe the church. He doesn't so much give us here a clinical definition of the church as he gives us a description, a rich theological description of what the church is all about. And so I want to look at this with you this morning and look at the way, through the lens of what Peter describes, that God, the way God sees this thing called the church and what this shows us about how we should relate to the church today, there are two primary images that Peter uses in this passage, two major word pictures that he's using here, and I want to look at each of these with you. The first he describes in verse 4 and 5. So First Peter 2, come back to verse 4 and 5, I'll read those again. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, 
what Peter's describing here, he's describing the church as a building. The church is like a building, but not just any building. Uh, the kind of building that Peter's comparing the church to here is a very specific kind of building. And you can see that by the words that he uses. Uh, he talks about a, a spiritual house. He talks about a priesthood. He talks about sacrifices. Those words are real giveaways in terms of what he's describing here. Peter is talking about the church as a temple. This is the first image. The church is the temple of God. Now, when Peter thinks about the temple, because he's, he's a Jewish man, and he would have had an obvious reference point to think about the physical temple that was standing at the time in Jerusalem. And Peter would have been to that temple Many times it was an amazing building built by Herod the Great, this huge imposing structure in Jerusalem. And for the Jewish people, that temple that existed during the time of Jesus, that temple was the dwelling place of God's presence on earth. That's, that's how it was seen, right, going right back to the Old Testament times. This is how God intended it to be. The temple was the place where God came and dwelt among his people. His glory filled the temple. And so it was really the, the focus point on earth of the presence of God. And it was the place where people would come and worship God and they would draw near to God in a sense, although the priests still acted as a buffer between people and the presence of God. But it was the closest people could come to the, the very heart of the presence of God on earth. Now, that physical temple in Jerusalem, that was destroyed eventually in AD 70. The Romans came in and destroyed the temple. And you can see today, I've been to Israel, and in, in Jerusalem, you can see where the Romans had taken the stones of the temple. They just completely leveled the whole building. And they took the stones of the temple and threw them off the side of the temple mount uh, onto the ground below. And you can, you can walk through them today and see they're just scattered boulders now. And that's all that's left of the temple. Uh, but in Jesus' day, and still when Peter was writing this letter... The temple was there, and it, it was very much around. But what Peter is saying is that God has now brought about this new and living temple. And this new temple that God has brought about is not made with bricks and stones, not physical, literal stones anyway. It's made up of living stones. It's made up of people. And Peter talks about how Jesus is the living cornerstone of this temple. He describes Jesus as the cornerstone down in verse 6 there. Jesus is the foundation stone of this temple. The life, death and resurrection of Jesus is the foundation of the church, the foundation of this new temple that God is building. That's like the stone that was laid first in the temple, the stone that becomes the reference point for every other stone that's going to be built. Uh, the whole temple uh, takes its reference point from that foundational cornerstone and that cornerstone is Jesus. And then Peter is saying, upon that cornerstone, who is Jesus, the temple is built and all of the other stones in this temple are people who belong to Jesus. So every person who's a follower of Jesus, every man, woman and child who belongs to Jesus, we are now the living stones in that temple. When a person becomes a follower of Jesus, they, by definition, become a living stone built into this temple. And so all of these stones are fitted together, person by person, into this beautiful temple that rises to become the display of God's glory. And this new temple 
replaces the old temple that used to sit in Jerusalem. That was the physical temple. That was the place where God blessed and located his presence. And now we have this new, even better living temple made up of Jesus and all those who belong to him as living stones. And the most incredible thing about this new temple of the church is that we, if we are this temple, then we are the dwelling place of God's presence. We are the place now where the presence of God resides. Because you think about that, in the Old Testament, you had the, the, the first temple that was built uh, and then destroyed and then rebuilt. But that temple that Solomon built originally, once they'd constructed that temple, the glory of God came down and filled the temple. The Shekinah glory of God, the manifest glory of God, it filled the temple with the presence of God. And now Peter is saying that we as the church are the new dwelling place of the presence of God. And just as God's presence came down and filled the original temple, Solomon's temple, with his glory, now the glory of God comes down and fills the church. Now the glory of God is, is manifest within the church itself. We are the, the, the focal point, if you like, of God's presence on earth. And the glory of God fills the church for the sake of the world. And, and I want you to catch this, that the way God's presence fills us is so important. We often think about being filled with the presence of God in a very individualistic sense. So we think about... The fact that I'm filled with the Holy Spirit as a Christian, you're filled with the Holy Spirit as a Christian, someone else is filled with the Holy Spirit. We tend to think of that in a very unitary kind of way, that we're just individuals who are filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's true. We do each possess the Holy Spirit as, as individuals. But Paul, Peter is talking about something more here. He, he describes this temple of the church as a spiritual house. And literally that phrase means the dwelling place of the Spirit. And so there is that sense here that it's, it's not just the Holy Spirit filling the lives of individual believers. This is the Holy Spirit coming and filling us as a church. The Holy Spirit fills us together. The Holy Spirit fills us communally. We share in the Spirit together. We possess the Spirit together. Paul says a similar thing in 1 Corinthians where he says, Do you not know that you are God's temple, talking to the church, and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? So there's that sense that the Spirit doesn't just dwell in our own individual hearts, but He dwells in our midst. This is so important that the Spirit is not just given to individuals. The Spirit is given to the church. The Spirit is given to the people of God. And we possess the Holy Spirit together. And I think that's particularly important when you consider the current condition we're in now in lockdown. That, that here we are, and we're all living stones in this temple. But right now, this morning, all these living stones are spread out everywhere. So there's living stones in this temple all across Auckland, all across the country, all around the world. And so we can't be physically together at the moment. But even though that's true, even though all the living stones are scattered this morning, we still have this unity because of the way the Holy Spirit binds us together. That even now, in a mysterious way that we don't, we don't fully understand, even now, 
the Holy Spirit is dwelling in us together. Not just in our individual hearts and homes, but the Spirit is is still, even now, dwelling among us together. We're still the temple, spread out as we are across the city this morning. We are still the temple of God. And we are still, in some sense, filled together with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit joins our lives together across whatever locations, across time and space. The Holy Spirit is the one who unifies us in Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit is the one who builds and puts this temple together even when we can't physically be together. That's a huge encouragement for us, I think, when we can't see each other face to face. We're still the temple of God, living stones fitted together in the house of the Lord. So this is a pretty stunning image, I think, of the church. And it really should just lift up your eyes to get a bigger view of of what the church is. Uh, I think sometimes we can, you know, we look at the church today and, and we sometimes see, we often see real weakness in the church. And we see brokenness. We see dysfunction. We see difficulties. You might be part of a church right now that's struggling away. It might not be easy. Church life can be can be hard. And sometimes we see things that, you know, we wish, you know, the church could be different. But this image causes us to lift up our eyes and say, regardless of what we see around us with our own eyes of the church, how God sees the church is this glorious temple filled with his spirit That becomes the dwelling place of his presence on earth. The church is still this living temple. The church is still built on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. The church is still the the community where God bestows his presence, where God bestows his, his favor. And we can be encouraged by that. Even when we see the struggles of the church in the present age, we can be encouraged. God's still building his church. He's still at work. Jesus said, I will build my church. The gates of hell can't stand against it. God's still at work, still building this temple, stone by stone, brick by brick, layer by layer. God's at work building this temple, and we get to be a part of that. So this should stir your heart, I think, with a greater sense of just how important and how glorious and how central the church really is in the plans and the purposes of God. The church is the living temple of the Spirit. So that's the first image that Peter describes in this passage. But there is another image. And he comes on to the second image down in uh, verse 9 and 10. He says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now what Peter is doing there is he's using a whole series of titles for the church. He just strings them all together. And they may not seem particularly significant to you, but there is a world of meaning in these titles. Because what Peter has done here is he has gone back to the Old Testament. And he has taken all of these titles that in the Old Testament applied to Israel. These were all descriptions in the Old Testament of the nation of Israel. You can go back. I won't give you all the references here, but um, they'll be on the study sheet and you can look these up. Israel in the Old Testament is described as God's chosen people. Israel is described as the royal priesthood or a kingdom of priests, as they described in Exodus. 
Uh, Israel is described as a holy nation. Israel is described as God's special possession or God's treasured possession. Uh, Israel is described as the people of God, the people belonging to God. So all of these terms were titles that God gave to Israel in the Old Testament. And now Peter is taking each of these titles and he is applying them to the church. And by doing that, what Peter is saying, and here is the second image, the church is the new Israel. The church is the new spiritual Israel. Now, let me qualify what I mean by that, because sometimes people get worried about this kind of teaching and and they sometimes say, is this replacement theology? Sometimes that term gets bandied around. And no, this is not replacement theology. Replacement theology would say the church has just completely replaced Israel as if God has stopped doing one thing with Israel and started doing something completely new with the church. That's not it at all. I think what Peter is describing here is best thought of as fulfillment theology. And it goes like this. In the Old Testament... Israel was God's chosen people. They were the elect people that God elected to salvation. But now that Jesus has come in the New Testament, and Jesus is the central part of the puzzle that we've got to keep in mind here. Jesus has come, and Jesus himself was the embodiment of Israel. This is really important. Jesus himself was the representative of all Israel. He fulfilled the calling of Israel. He fulfilled the identity of Israel. He fulfilled the the destiny, the vocation, if you like, of Israel. He, He was the chosen one. He was the holy priest. He was the person truly belonging to God. He was the one who supremely embodied all of those titles that Peter uses here. So Jesus kind of wraps up the identity of Israel in himself. And then what Jesus starts doing during his ministry, he starts redefining the nature of what is true Israel. So the nation of Israel, ethnically speaking, still existed, of course. But Jesus starts redrawing the lines of who is truly part of true Israel, God's Israel. And who is not part of Israel. So he chooses 12 disciples, for example representing the the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, He starts talking about how how some people who were descended from Abraham are not really Abraham's children at all. And uh, John the Baptist talks about how God can raise up children of Abraham from these stones, like like God is going to bring people into this family of Israel who may not be ethnically Jewish. So the lines are being redrawn here so that the ones who now belong to true spiritual Israel are not just those who are descendants of Abraham by blood. They are those who belong to Jesus by faith. Those who are in this new people of God, this new Israel, are those who have an allegiance to Jesus. Those who belong to Jesus. That's the identity of this new family of God. And this is echoed then uh, right throughout the New Testament Uh, I'll give you just one other verse from uh, Romans 9, verse 8. Uh, This is Paul writing, and he says, In other words, it is not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. Uh, In other words, it's, it's not those who can trace their physical ancestry 
back to Abraham, back to the 12 tribes of Israel, who are now considered part of the true people of God. But it is those who inherit the promise. And Jesus is the fulfillment of those promises. Jesus is the one who's carrying forward those promises. So all those who belong to Jesus are now part of what is true, spiritual, theological Israel. So again, of course, Israel as a nation state still exists, that exists today. That's very clear. But at a deeper level, there is this idea of the true community of Israel, and that community is the church. And so now through Jesus, the church inherits this identity that was given to Israel in the Old Testament, that we now are this chosen people. Uh, We now are this royal priesthood. We now are this holy nation. And it's not that we're replacing Israel, but we are being grafted in. We're grafted into their story so that the prophets of Israel are our prophets now. So the kings of Israel in the Old Testament, they're our our kings. That's our story. Their Israel's story becomes the church's story by faith. And, And that means that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this is your story. Like the story of the Old Testament is your story. And we get to share now as the church in this huge story that goes all the way back to Abraham, back to Abraham and Sarah, where God said to them, I'm going to start a family through you. And this family is going to be the family of promise. That family is carried all the way through the Old Testament, through Israel, then through into the New Testament, through the church. Those promises now continue on to be fulfilled through Jesus and through the church. And we become part of that family. We're part of a big story. We're part of a huge family. And the real, the real power today, I think, of this, this particular image, when you think of yourself as part of this new Israel, this new family of God, it just speaks so powerfully against the kind of individualism that is so pervasive in our culture. We live in such an individualistic society and we are constantly conditioned to think of ourselves primarily as isolated individuals. And this just seeps into the church. It seeps into our Christian faith so that we just think of ourselves purely as isolated Christian believers. And we think that Really, all that matters is my own personal relationship with God and my own personal faith in Jesus living in my heart. And that's all that matters. And so consequently, you see a huge rise today in churchless Christians, Christians that love Jesus, but not the church. Uh, Christians that have a faith, have a genuine faith, but don't have much time for the church. Uh, Christians that just practice their faith on their own. And you have this rise of churchless Christianity churchless faith, churchless Christians, this kind of DIY spirituality where we just think, well, I I can just do it myself. You know, I I can be a Christian on my own. Uh, What need do I have for the church? And in that context, I think this image has such power because it reminds us you're not an isolated believer. You're you're not an island, even if that's how you live. You, You are not. By definition, you are part of this family. By definition, you are part of this huge story and you are part of the Israel of God. God has never been in the business of just saving isolated individuals. God's not just looking around going, well, I'm going to save you and I'm going to save you and I'm going to save you. God has always been in the business of forming a family from the very beginning when he called Abraham and Sarah. His intention 
His determination was to create a family. And this is what God is still continuing to do. And when you become a follower of Jesus, yes, you become a follower of him as an individual and you stand accountable before God as an individual. But as a Christian, you are brought into a family of faith. You are born into a family. You are saved into a family. And and that family is your primary identity as a Christian. That's why in the New Testament, there is no such thing as a churchless Christian. Uh, If you had said to Peter, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't really see any importance of the church. Uh, I'm not identifying with the church. I don't think the church is relevant to my life. He would have looked at you like you're from another planet. Because in the New Testament, being a follower of Jesus and belonging to a church went hand in hand. They were part and parcel. You are saved into this this family. And so it it would have made no sense to be a Christian apart from the church. The, The church as this family, as the new Israel, it is intended to be the context in which we find our identity. You discover who you are in the family of God. You discover in this family that God is your father. You discover that Jesus is your elder brother. Uh, You discover that all these other people around you are your brothers and sisters, and that gives you a sense of identity. Uh, We we think today that our identity comes from ourselves as individuals, and then only secondarily from other groups and communities. In the Bible, it's the exact opposite. We find our identity from this community that we belong to, and then only secondly as individuals. We find out who we are individually through this community as we embed ourselves in the community. And the community of the church is supposed to be the place where we learn to walk as Christians, just like you learn to walk in your family when you were a child in the church. This is where you learn to walk as a Christian with other people around you, helping you and loving you and guiding you. Uh, The church is the place where we grow up in this family and we learn what life is about and we we learn how to grow into this this faith and have this relationship with God. We have other people that can speak into our lives and encourage us and pray for us, and mentor us. And then as we grow in our faith, we can encourage others, and we can mentor others, and we journey alongside others, and we take responsibility, like a family, for the work that needs to be done within the church to help this family function and thrive. All of this is just part of being the family, and that's all tied up in this image of the church as the Israel of God. And so I just want to encourage you not to see yourself primarily as an isolated Christian. I want to encourage you to see yourself as part of this family and not to stand apart from the church, not to isolate yourself from the church, but to throw yourself into the church and to be part of a local church and to identify with a body of believers because that is where God wants you to be. That is where God wants to place you. That is where God wants to grow you. That is where God wants to establish you. And so let that image remind you that we're not individual believers. We are those that have been brought into this community of the church. We are part of the new Israel. We have a big story and we have a big family and that is something to celebrate. Now, as we finish this morning, I want to read a quote to you from C.S. Lewis. Uh, It's from his book, The Screwtape Letters. And in in that book, it's a fictional account of this senior demon who is writing to a junior demon about how to disrupt God's plans and how to do damage to the church. And so there's a bit of reverse psychology going on. But here is what he says at one point. 
One of our greatest allies at present is the church itself. Do not misunderstand me. I do not mean the church as we see her spread out through all time and space and rooted in eternity, terrible as an army with banners. That, I confess, is a spectacle which makes our boldest tempers uneasy. But fortunately, it is quite invisible to these humans. And so what Lewis is saying there is we have this human perspective of the church, but we really so often fail to see the church as she truly is. We might see the church as programs and ministries and people and services and those kinds of things, but we need to remind ourselves of how God sees the church, this glorious church spread out through time and space, rooted in eternity. We need to draw these images back to mind because they remind us of what the church truly is. The church is this incredible temple that rises to become the dwelling place of God on earth. The church is the new Israel, the people of God, part of a sweeping story, a huge history, and an incredible destiny. And so let's let those images just sink into our heart and give us a fresh appreciation for what the church truly is. Let's allow those images to lead us to love the church more, because God loves the church. And if we're going to love the things that God loves, God loves the church, and we ought to love the church as well. Let's connect ourselves to the church and invest our lives in the church and learn to see this thing called the church in the way that God truly sees it. Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you this morning for the church. And we thank you for these images that Peter gives us. We think of the church as a temple. Think of the way your spirit even now is binding us together and dwelling among us together. We think of the church as the community of the new Israel. It gives us such a sense of history, such a sense of being part of a story bigger than ourselves. Lord, help us to keep these images in our mind when we often have very small ways of thinking about the church. Help us to love our church. Help us to serve our church. Help us to love the people in our church. And even when we can't be together physically, like we can't now, we pray that you would help us to still love and serve each other the best that we can and stay connected to this body of believers you've placed us in. We thank you for the church and thank you for just how important it is in your plans and purposes. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources or to donate to our teaching resource ministry or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.